This past week, I was invited to go to Saskatoon to participate in a special advisory committee for the Horizon College. Some of you may remember uh, when we had the gala that they were introducing what they called Horizon 8.0. And Horizon 8.0 basically is all about a brand new way of training young people, young leaders for, for ministry. And uh, so, of course, it's a great honor and a great privilege to do that. But one of the things that, that really weighed heavy on my heart is, is a question, or several questions, actually. What is it that the church does? Why does the church exist? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And how should Christians live their lives? Now, the answer to this, or to these questions can be found in Matthew 28. We, we know it as the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded them. Folks, these are our marching orders, and you have heard this repeatedly here. You've heard me talk about this repeatedly. The reason we keep going to that is because as a church, as as God's people on earth who are called to advance his kingdom, we need to remember what our general's marching orders are. And Jesus Christ is our general. Everybody knows that. He has given us a command. When Jesus was on earth, he talked about the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's a, it's a, a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that is advancing. The question is, is how does this happen? Well, folks, that really is what church is all about, and that's what Bible college is all about. It's about training young people to help in the work of advancing the kingdom. So we're, if you want to know what the church is all about, we're in the business of making disciples, of making followers of Christ. Everything we do must flow out of this command. One of the things that I was able to do with Dr. Martini is spend a day with him uh, just doing some planning and helping uh, them get some focus, fundraising and that sort of thing. But while we were uh, just sort of having a break, I said, why don't we go for a walk? And he said, well, why don't we go walk over to the Lutheran Seminary? And the Lutheran Seminary is a, is a, a sister college where uh, some of our students over the years have been able to get their master's degree. Um, so we, we walked over there and looked around at this beautiful facility and I said, this is incredible. How many, how many kids does this, or young people, does this chapel hold? He said, well, it probably holds about 130 people. I said, wow, how many students do they have? Eight. This multi-million dollar, beautiful facility, three floors of, uh, of books, and references, it really is one of the, as far as theological seminary libraries go, probably one of the best that I've ever seen. It was absolutely stunning. When he told me eight, my, my heart sank. It was, it was devastating to me that this, this seminary, this place that trains young people to advance the kingdom, has only eight students. And those eight students... Uh, many of them are not from Saskatchewan and, and a number are not from Canada. We're in trouble. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
is that the college that we have now on Jackson Avenue, we've been there for a good number of years, that used to be the old Lutheran Seminary. And when the Lutheran Seminary built the new seminary on the, on the grounds of the University of Saskatchewan, we bought their old building from them. So I, I nudged Jeremy, and I said, what do you think? Do you think this is something that we could get our hands on? Maybe we could trade, give them back their old seminary. We'll get the new one. <laughs> Folks, my heart sank because I thought to myself, we've lost our way. And I say we, I'm talking about the church in general. I'm not, I'm not going tribal now. I'm talking about all those who would acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. We've lost our way. We've forgotten that our call is to go and make disciples. Our calling is to teach people everything that Jesus has commanded. I'm going to say this. The day that we forget that that's our job is the day we begin to die. That is why we presented to you um, not that many months ago what we called the seven habits. And this is why I want to review them today. Today we're going to review the very first three habits. And we're calling this walking with God. It's how to have a time of devotion, that daily, daily devotions, daily walk with God, that weekly attendance of church, and that moment-by-moment holiness. Every good preacher and every good teacher and every great theologian did this work, teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. It's called life in the spirit. And if you want to, you can read Romans chapter 8 and be reminded on a daily basis, if you want, about what it means to walk in the spirit. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us what it means to walk in the spirit. And incidentally, in the passage I'd like to share with you this morning, actually focuses on these first three habits. Let's take a look at the scripture. And it says, for God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. So this morning, we're going to have a refresher in what the, well, the first three habits are. And next week, it'll be the habit four and five, which is uh, getting into a small group and serving others. We call that walking with others. So today's walking with God, and then next week is walking with others. And then the third week, which is the, the habit of discipleship and the habit of giving, is called walking in this world. But let's take a look this morning at these first three habits. Habit one, day, a daily walk with God. Look what it says here. It says, he chose them. To become like his son. Verse 30, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Now, folks, here's what you and I need to understand. Is that if you and I are going to become like Jesus, then you and I need to learn the habit of hanging out with Jesus. Because the Bible is clear. We become like the people we hang with. We become like the people we spend time with. In the ministry now for 31 years, I can tell you this. Every time somebody goes off the rails spiritually... It begins here. It begins with a breakdown in this discipline or this habit of daily walking with God. Show me somebody, show me somebody who's off the rails spiritually, somebody who's fallen into temptation, who, who's sort of lost the faith, and I'm going to show you someone who has stopped reading the Bible and stopped praying. Walking with God is, is it's, it's, it's a relationship, isn't it? And we've, we've said this repeatedly. The way that you and I have a relationship with anybody is... When we are talking to them and they're talking to us, it's a two-way communication. 
And we said that that two-way communication is basically us listening to God speak to us through his word, right? It's reading the Bible. And then we talk to God. We call that prayer. Now, here's, here's what you and I need to know, is that, is that this is not just a religious r- ritual. This is a relationship, and it's an ongoing thing. It's something that we're doing on a constant basis. We're pouring out our heart to God. I mean, I found myself awake at 3 o'clock this morning. I don't know why, but uh, as soon as I wake up, I find myself praying and thinking whatever God's bringing to my memory, I'm praying about that. I'm, telling, I'm talking to God about it. I'm connecting with God's heart. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. And by the way, it's not just for pastors. It's for everyone who calls himself a Christ follower. We find Jesus actually setting an example in this. Remember reading in the book of Mark, in the very first chapter, one of the very first things that, that the author of Mark records is, is not just people being, having their, the demons cast out of them. It's not just Jesus preaching sermons, but it's Jesus spending time alone with the Father. We read that in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. He got alone with God. Now listen, if Jesus needed to spend time praying and in the presence of God, do you really think that you can get off not doing that? I know I can't. I know myself. Every time I find myself lapsing into worrying or lapsing into fear or lapsing into anything I I shouldn't be lapsing into, I quickly recognize that the thing that's missing is this communion with God. And so here's the thing. If, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to have a relationship with God, if you're going to be a Christ follower, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then, then this habit has got to be number one. It's got to be the thing that you're spending the most time on. And can I just say this? Contrary to what the TV evangelists and preachers teach, God's will for your life is not that you become fabulously wealthy. God's will for you, as we read here, is that you become like his son. That's what God wants for you. And the way that that's going to happen is by spending time in his presence. Now, we we understand that it's it's easy just for me to stand up here and just rail and you've got to do your devotions, do your devotions. And some of you are saying, well, Pastor, I don't know how to do my devotions. I don't know how to have time with God. I really don't know how to do this thing. Well, we uh, as a staff thought, well, what we need to do is we need to try to help you somehow. And so what we've done is we've designed a 40-day devotional um, uh, help for you. And what we're asking you to do, if you'd like to, if you'd like to participate in this, sign up in the atrium, just put your email address down, and what's going to happen is that every day you will have a devotional emailed to you. that you can, we, can, we can do it together. And if you, if, you, if you want to, just go to our website, www.crosschurch.ca, and you will find information about this daily 40-day devotional campaign where you can get in the habit. Now, why 40 days? Well, again, you've heard me say this. They say that it takes at least 40 days, at least, maybe more, maybe a little bit less for some people, but it's about 40 days to establish a new habit. And so the, the nice thing is that you're not doing it all alone. We're doing it together. And so there'll be others going through this as well. So we invite you to sign up for this. And maybe you're, you know, you're, you're relatively good at doing your devotions. Why don't you sign up anyway and be part of it? I'm going to be part of it. Everything, I think all of our staff is going to be part of it. But it's a way for us to do this together, to grow together. 
The habit that is probably the most controversial in all, well, maybe the second most controversial. I think the seventh habit is the most controversial, giving. But the, the second most controversial is this, uh, this habit of going to church. Now, we're living in a day and an age where the church has gotten a lot of bad press. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Unless you've been living with your head in the sand, you know that the church has been under severe attack. And, uh, and a lot of that is because of what has happened in the name of Jesus and what has happened in the name of Christ. And, of course, you know the residential schools and the, the so-called men of God or priests that abuse children, horrifying, even as I say it, my stomach turns. And we, we hear constantly on the news of pastors who are falling and, and engaging in things they ought not to engage in. And, of course, we've seen, we've seen terrible things through the television evangelists, and it goes on and on and on. And so the church has gotten a bad name. Sadly, there are many people in the church who actually don't think the church is that important, that what really matters is just the first habit. As long as I'm doing my devotions, as long as I'm praying and reading my Bible every day, that's good enough. Well, I would, I would tell you that you're dead wrong, absolutely wrong. I'm going to tell you this right now. The church is Jesus' invention. Everybody know that? The, the church is what we call the bride of Christ. It's his, it's his beloved. It's Jesus' beloved. And he died for his church. He loves his church dearly. So the first thing that you need to understand is that you need to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves his church. In fact, Jesus said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against the church. So I'm going to tell you this right now. This sounds like a bit of triumphalism, but it's what the Bible says the church will prevail. The church is triumphant and will be triumphal. The church is God's design. It's God's plan. It's God's way to reach this world. And this is why some of you who know me well and have heard, my, heard me ranting, you'll know that I, I want to do everything through the church by the church. That's, that's God's way to reach this world. It's got to be through the church. There are a lot of what we call parachurch organizations. They mean well. Their intentions are good. But God does his work through the local church. And I'll explain to you why. But before I do, look at what it says here in the Bible. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, what? To become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you understand that the family of God, the church is the family of God, and Jesus Christ is the firstborn in this family? Now, when you and I became believers, the very first thing that happened is that you and I became part of the family of God. When a person is born again, when a person gives his heart to Christ, he becomes part of the family. And it's in, the, it's in that family that, that you, you learn to grow, you learn what it means to follow Jesus, I mean, you learn what it, you learn how to survive in this world. You know, we, Gloria and I had three children. One was born in Greece, uh, and two were born in the Victoria Hospital. And um, I'm happy to report to you that we brought all of them home. We didn't leave any of them in the hospital. We didn't say, well, you look like a nice nurse. Would you mind raising our kid? No, we took, we, we, we had these kids, we brought them home, we raised them. 
Now, guess what? This is a metaphor. This family is a metaphor for what the church is supposed to look like. When people are born again, when people give their hearts to Jesus, that's just the beginning of the great work that God's called us to do. Remember, Jesus said, go and make what? He didn't say go and make babies. He didn't say go and make converts. He said go and make disciples. So when a person is born again, they're born again into a family. And it's in the family that they learn to grow, they learn to follow Jesus, they learn what, what it means to be a follower of Christ. So I'm telling you this today, if you are a follower of Christ, you have to go to church. You can't stay home. You can't miss church. That's not an option. If you're going to grow, you need to go to church. Because it's in the context of the church that you, first of all, hear the prophetic word of God, what's happening right now. And when I say the prophetic word of God, I'm simply saying you're hearing God speak to you. I am, I am a humble servant of God. I, I recognize this responsibility that's placed on my shoulders. I tremble at it. I, I, I sometimes protest and say, God, I don't want this job because I don't want the responsibility that goes with it, but this is what God's called me to do. And so humbly I sit before you or stand and I share with you what it is that God wants you to hear. When you come to church on Sunday, you're hearing what God wants you to hear. The question is this, is, is your heart open to hear what God wants you to hear? But Hearing the prophetic word of God is only half the equation. The other half of the equation, folks, is that you connect with your family. You connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I had supper with uh, six of our seven students who are at Bible College. And by the way, they say hello to everybody. Hello. I'll pass that on to them. One of them, Kyle, had to lead his youth group. He's working at... Uh, the Rock Church in downtown Saskatoon is working with youth, so I was able to take six of them out. And for those of you who think that's unfair to Kyle, I did have coffee with them later. So we took six of these kids out for, I took six of the kids out for, for supper, and we just spent, oh, I don't know, a couple hours just discussing what their first days at college were like and how they felt about it all. And I said, what was your first Sunday like? And they, the first thing they all said is it didn't feel like a family. I said, didn't anybody greet you? No, nobody greeted us. Did anybody say, welcome, so glad to see you? No, nobody said that. Hmm. I said, well, what was the sermon about? Well, they didn't have a sermon. I said, you went to church and they didn't have a sermon? You didn't hear the prophetic word of God? And you didn't feel like you're part of the family? I'd say, strike two. <laughs> what happened? Well, they had a ministry fair. And one church boasted that they had 66 ministries. 66 different ministries in their church. Now, that is a lot of ministries, but when Gloria and I were in Atlanta, we found a church that had over 130, no, 230 ministries in their church. Wow. This, is, this must be a good church if it's got 66 ministries. 66 different ministries where people are busy for God. Well, guess what, folks? Church is not a store. This is not like a Walmart where you come and shop for what, you, for what you want, where you get what you want. And there's some people that treat church like that. They'll go to one church because they've got a great ladies' program, and another church because they've got a good children's program, and another church because there's a good youth program, and they'll go to the church where they want to hear, the, hear good preaching. They treat church like it's, it's just one of the many shops that they can visit. 
I'm gonna, I, I want to disabuse you of that notion this morning. I want you to know that the church is not a shop. It's not a place where you get what you want. It's not a place where you uh, think, well, what, what's in it for me? Church is a place, it's called the family, where you belong, where you say, how can I partner with my family in advancing the kingdom of God? That's what church is. And so when you come to church, you need to say, how can I get involved and how can I help this church advance? So what I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to reduce the number of ministries and activities that we have here, and I'm trying to to lead us to doing just a few things and doing them well. So if you're going to attend anything and go anywhere or do anything, I want you to come to church first of all, and I want you to go to small groups, which is our fourth habit, which I'll talk about next week. Why? Because this is how you're going to grow spiritually. This is how you're going to develop. This is how you're going to go on to real Christian maturity and wholeness. So... When you and I examine the New Testament, guess what we discover? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, particularly verse 46. What does it say? That the, what, did the, what did the new believers do? They went to church, they heard the word of God, and then they went back to each other's homes where they discussed what, what the teaching was. And they, they ate together, and they fellowshiped together. And what did they do? They encouraged each other in their walk with God. Very simple and very brilliant. And the fact of the matter is, is I have almost burnt myself out over the years, believing that what I needed to do is have lots of ministries, and the more ministries we have, the better. It's just a wrong model. And it burns everybody out. What we need to do is we need to focus on the things that the early church focused on. And you'll recognize when you read that, that, that record of the early days of the early church, God was adding to the numbers daily. In fact, Peter stands up and preaches a sermon and, and 3,000 are added to the number. And here's what it says. The disciples, the, the new disciples, the new believers, the new followers of Christ, they went to church, they went to small group, and the Bible says, and God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. What are we talking about here? We're talking about advancing the kingdom. What does advancing the kingdom look like? It means people are getting saved. It means people's lives are being transformed, which, by the way, is the sixth habit, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But it's got to begin with you making a decision to get these habits going. Now, I had a, I had a bit of a debate with the president of the college. This is the guy who's got his PhD in New Testament studies. I don't have that. I don't even have a master's degree in that. In fact, I don't even have a bachelor's degree in that because they weren't giving them out then because any kind of degree when I graduated was still considered to be unspiritual. So I had a diploma. That does sound more spiritual. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> That's all I could get. I had a debate with, with, with Herr Monsieur President, Presidente. And he said, you know, we can't, be, we can't be legalistic about the Christian faith. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you can't have all these, rich, these, you know, these rules and whatever. And you can't be too severe on that. And Jeremy, if you're listening, we'll talk. Because he does listen to, this, to our, our messages sometimes. But listen to this, listen. God has called us to be disciples. 
A disciple, the, the root of that word disciple is a word discipline. This is, why, this is why we're calling them habits. These are things that we do on a regular basis. It's our habit. It's what we do. Now, look at the, look what we read about Jesus in the New Testament. It said that, that on the Sabbath, Jesus went, went, to the, went to the synagogue as was his habit. That's what the Bible says. So I, I make no apologies for saying these are habits that you need to establish. These are habits that you need to get into. And I know this, that anybody who adapts these habits and starts living by these habits are those who are going to be strong spiritually. If you're struggling spiritually, then it's simply because you, don't, you, you haven't developed the disciplines or the habits that you need in order to grow spiritually. I want to talk for a moment before my time is out about this third habit, which we call moment-by-moment moment holiness. And look what it says there, verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. The beginning of verse 29. For God knew his people in advance. And he what? He chose them to become like his son. Now, can I remind everybody what holiness means? Holiness simply means that you have been set apart for God's purposes. You've been plucked out, and God says, you're mine now. Deb, you're mine. You're in my service now. You're my child. You're in the family. You're mine, and you're called now to live what we call a separated life, separated unto God. You are God's possession. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Now, here's what all of us need to understand today. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be holy. In the course of every day, you are going to be making decisions every day. And, and, and most of the times, it'll be moment by moment where you are going to be making a decision to either do your will or to the, do the will of the Father. Now listen, if you've been chosen by God and called to come to God and you belong to God, then by definition, what you and I need to do is we need to do the will of our Father. We need to follow the example of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. What did Jesus do? We see it beautifully before, just before Jesus is about to face the, the, the greatest trial of his time on earth. He's about to face the cross, and he says to his father in prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Now, here's what I, this came up in our conversation with our students. I said, here's the mark of the believer. The mark of the believer is that you will always do what God wants you to do and not what you want to do. This is, a, this is some, a decision that every one of us makes on a regular basis and oftentimes moment by moment. Not my will, Father, but your will. Now, does your life look like that? Is that how you're living your life right now? Well, I'm not condemning or judging anybody here, but I'm encouraging you. In fact, that's why you've come to church. And when you miss coming to church, you miss out on this, this encouragement. I'm encouraging you now to get used to the idea of asking, what does God want me to do? Or if you want to use the, the expression that we all know, what would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus live? And I'm going to tell you this. Now, this, this may be the most important thing that you hear today and maybe throughout the course of this whole year. Are you ready for this? The thing that determines whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or not, whether or not you are a Christian, is that you do the will of the Father. 
That's how I know that you're a follower of Christ, is that you are prepared and willing to do the will of your Father in heaven. If you're not doing the will of your Father in heaven, then you are not a Christian. You say, Pastor Ellen, that's so severe. Well, okay, look at it. I'm not the one that came up with this. Here's what Jesus says. Are you ready? Now, this is pretty severe. Are you ready for this? Okay, maybe you better hold your wife's hand so she's not too, too scared. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, that's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Did you hear that? We got some pretty sappy, syrupy, sentimental ideas about what it means, what happens after we die. When you die, you don't become an angel, you don't get your wings, you don't float on a cloud, and you won't be playing a harp. Only those, this is what Jesus is saying, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Heaven's a place for people who do the will of the Father. And people who don't do the will of the Father, why would they want to go there? Why would you want to go to a place where everybody wants to do the will of the Father? Some people have this notion that God is a mean old God. Why, won't, why, won't God, why would God not let people into heaven? Well, it's not that God's not letting people into heaven. They don't want to go to heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I just heard? We prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Isn't that interesting? We live in a world right now where there are many people and many ministries claim to be Christian, and I'm not going to name names. I'm not pointing a finger or judging anybody. I wouldn't dare do that. But I'm saying this as a warning to each of us to make sure that you're living your life asking yourself the question, what does God want me to do? Because only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And for the rest, Jesus will say, get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is what holiness is. Holiness is simply, simply means you're doing the will of the Father. That's what God's laws are all about. It's, just, it's his will on how to live this life. Now, you've heard me say this before. My job as your pastor is to try to, with all my heart, with all my strength, to get you safely home. That's my job. I can't force you to live by these habits. But I can teach it to you. I can encourage you in it. I can help you. I can try to show you the way. But folks, you're the ones that are going to have to say, okay, I'm engaging. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what you're saying here. I'm going to follow the prophetic word of God. Now, what a massive revival would break out in North America if Christians everywhere began to live like this, began to live holiness moment by moment. What a transformation would take place in marriages, 
and in families if everybody in the family began to live doing what Jesus would do. What a, what a transformation would happen in our missions efforts, in our giving, if we asked ourselves a question, what does God want me to do? Folks, I want to encourage you today. We're going to give everybody a bookmark as a reminder. It's if you already have a bookmark, take one anyway. Put it up on your fridge as a reminder. And uh, I was so thrilled when I asked our kids at the Bible college, what are the seven habits? They knew them all off by heart. It was absolutely thrilling. You need, to, you need to learn these habits and know them off by heart, and you need to start asking God for the grace and the strength to start living this out, because here's what I know for sure, is that on that day, at that moment, when you say, God, I'm going to be sold out to you, and I'm going to start living according to these habits by your grace and strength, with the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a game changer for your life and for your marriage and for your family. It's going to make you productive. You'll be able to start leading people to Jesus. Because now you will have the authority to speak in the name of Jesus. You see, so many people look at those of us who call ourselves Christians and they see in us what we, a hypocrisy. They say he knows how to talk the talk, but he sure doesn't know how to walk it. Remember what they said about Jesus. When he speaks, he speaks with, as someone who has authority. What was the authority? is that Jesus didn't just talk about it, he did it. He didn't just talk about what to do, he lived it. And so he preached to someone with authority. Ron Keller sent me this, and I just want to close with it. A member of the church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. It was a chilly evening, the pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire, guessing that the reason for his pastor's visit was to remind him that he was missed. The man welcomed him in, led him to a comfortable chair near the fireplace, and then waited. The pastor made himself a home, uh, at home, but said nothing. And in the grave silence, he contemplated the dance of the flames around the burning logs. And after some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it to one side on the hearth, all alone. Then he sat back in his chair, still silent, never saying a word. The host watched all this in quiet contemplation. And as the one lone ember's flame flickered and diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. The pastor glanced at his watch and realized it was time to leave. He, slowed, he slowly stood up, picked up the cold, dead ember, and placed it back in the middle of the fire, and immediately began to glow. Once more, with the light and the warmth of the burning coals around it, that ember burned. As the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said with a tear running down his cheek, Thank you so much for your visit and especially for the fiery sermon. I will be back in church next Sunday. You need to go to church. You need to have a daily walk with God. And you need to learn what it means to live a life where every day you're asking, God, what, what do you want me to do? Not my will, but thine be done. This is what we're about, encouraging each other in the faith encouraging us, 
encouraging one another to do what Jesus would do. We're going to have communion right now. I want to remind everybody this morning that communion is all about celebrating the fact that you and I have been welcomed into the family of God because of what Jesus did, did for us. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among all of us. He's our big brother. It's a reminder that you and I have life because of what Jesus did for us. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads right now and have the elders come and prepare to help me here. Father, as we go into prayer right now, we, uh, we're preparing our hearts to receive communion. And communion is a celebration of everything that we were just talking about. It's a, it's a celebration of the new relationship we have with God, that daily walk with God. It's a, it's a celebration of the church that was established through the shedding of Christ's blood. It's a celebration of a new life devoted to pleasing God and devoted to doing the will of the Father. So God, as we pray right now, we, we ask that you'd fill our hearts with a sense of your presence, with a hunger and a desire, God, to live this disciplined life, this, this life of holy habits, God, so that we can live a life that pleases and honors you. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Take a moment right now, if you would, just to prepare your heart to receive communion.